Open up your Bibles with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And to help us uh, keep the context of where we're at in the stream of the thought that Paul has been presenting to us as he was inspired to do so, let us begin reading at verse 8 all the way down to 21, Ephesians 5, 8 through 21, as we seek to treat today and consider together verses 15 through 21. Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 21, hear the word of the Lord. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are manifested by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walked circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading, the hearing, and understanding of his holy word. One of the strongest witnesses to the power and the glory of God that is manifested through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the transformative nature and power of the gospel itself. Beginning with the faithful record we have in the book of Acts chapter 2, when men from faraway countries heard the inspired Apostle Peter with great power declare the gospel of Christ, and the text tells us they were pricked in their hearts, and they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? All the way down to our own day and age, when we see a life converted by the power of the preached gospel of Christ, we are seeing pictures, we are seeing glimpses of a sovereign, infinite God's eternal purposes captured in time, space, and history. Think about that for a moment. Every single time, this transformative power takes a sinner in the bondage and the chains of darkness, as Paul alluded to in verse 8, and converts them to a child of light, we are seeing part and parcel of God's eternal purposes before our very eyes. Paul captured that well last week for us in verse 8. 
Look at your Bibles. He said, you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then what he did in verses 9 all the way down to 14 is he began to amplify what these transformed individuals could now engage in. Right? Verse 9, you can engage in goodness, righteousness, being truthful. You can, now as children of light, to amplify the transformative power of the Gospel in individuals' lives, you now can be engaged in testing things, proving things, exercising discernment. Verse uh, 9, you can now engage in the challenge we uh, observed last week. We were calling it a challenge for the pilgrim, this child of light. You can now abstain from participating in the things of darkness that you once perhaps participated in. And even more, your duty we saw, he said you now can engage in bringing your light into those practices, into those beliefs, and you can reprove them. You can rebuke them. Well, moving forward in this, what Paul wants us to see, that as children of light who have been transformed by the Gospel, who have, yes, last week we saw challenges and duties, we are to always continually, as we move forward as children of light, converted out of darkness, we are to always be seeking and be open to understanding what the will of the Lord is. What the will of the Lord is. And so that's really the theme that I want us to kind of walk under today in today's message as we consider verses 15 and 21. As pilgrims, as children of light last week coming out of the message, let us consider that we are to move forward. We are to proceed now as children of light, seeking, wanting, desiring more understanding of what the will of the Lord is. Now, we um, have to first briefly just comment on verses 13 and 14 and how Paul highlighted for us last week that God was going to not only use a new informed intellect, a new informed mind about the truth of the world and what uh, an individual understands about themselves and their creator through the gospel, but that that God was going to use as part and parcel of his means of converting fellow Gentile sinners their life. And now that appropriately sets up for us verse 15. Because highlighting and elevating the amplification of our transformed lives being lived out for the glory of God, Paul now says as you proceed forward with this understanding that not only with your words and the lips and the things you say, but also with the life you live, God will use those things to convert sinners by and through the power of the gospel He says, now proceed with caution. And so our first thought in verse 15 is, walk ye then circumspectly. That's what it means in our English, the word translated circumspectly. It means to walk with great caution. Great caution. Some of the modern translations have it translated, uh, see then ye walk carefully or see ye then how you walk right 
And so you get this idea immediately that Paul is saying, my first uh, admonition, my cautionary warning to you with understanding your children are light and you've been transformed is to sincerely live out your life with caution. With caution. You're not to move forward in your life, Paul is saying here, as a child of light before your fellow Gentile uh, uh, neighbors in Ephesus as children of light. You're not to live your life with brash boldness. You're not to live your life with haughty confidence or flaunting liberty. No, no, no. But you're to walk with great caution. And so we see, dear friends, here, one vital piece of a child of light who is seeking to further and perpetually understand the will of the Lord is to first grasp this truth that you and I as children of light who are to walk cautiously, we're not invincible. We're not invincible. We can be led astray, can't we? We can by the weakness of our flesh or the cunning craftiness of Satan and his minions be led to buy into suggestions of error. Perhaps even begin to deceive ourselves through the deceptions that emanate from within our own fallen hearts. That yes, are being sanctified, but at the same time have deep in the recesses of their crevices that old man that we talked about in chapter 4. And so there is for the child of light moving forward, seeking to want to understand the will of the Lord, a great sense of humility and openness to be what? Instructed and taught. To walk cautiously, to walk humbly as a pilgrim is one who understands that their garments still have the smell of smoke from the fire which their Lord has just pulled them out of. And instinctively then, that child of God, that child of light pulled from those frames, he instinctively knows that he is to walk cautiously so that he doesn't get drugged back into those heated flames like the, uh, the fable of the frog in the, the boiling water. You throw him in there immediately. Why do you immediately jump out? But by degrees, you turn it up, up and up, and he kind of just will sit there until he's boiled alive. And I know what some of you scientists in the church are thinking, that that's been proven not right. But the fable works for that illustration, okay? You see, we're to walk, brothers and sisters, cautiously as children of light. Not as the fools, the text says. Unlike the fools. Well, what is the picture of a fool in the Bible? Generally, the fool in Scripture, so that we can have something to reflect off of and have something of the contrast of, of what we're not to do, but to be cautious, the biblical fool in the Bible is generally categorized under five uh, uh, headings or five categories. You have first, the simple fool. Don't be that person. But be what? A cautious child of light. A cautious son of the king. The simple fool is the fool who opens his mind to any passing thought. He opens his arms to any passing beggar. In other words, the simple fool in Scripture, as advocated in Proverbs 22.3, has an oversimplified view of life to the detriment of possessing any helpful discernment. He's just this gleebly naive person walking through life. The simple fool. No, 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 no. 
Christian child of light who has been converted out of darkness, called, as Paul said, with the challenge of proving and testing. Don't be the simple fool. Don't be the simple fool. There's another fool in the Bible that it speaks much of, and that is the silly fool. This fool oftentimes expresses their foolishness by the words that they speak in their mouth. It gets them into trouble from time and time again. The silly fool, when things go wrong, he doesn't seek to understand how can I apply, you know, things in order to come up with a solution. No, what he gets is this angry and angrier. He doesn't try to come up with some way to fix the problem. He's a silly fool. The silly fool believes in his own way of thinking and that it's the only right way. Proverbs 12, 15, 1 and 7. And many times a silly fool in their lives can be best noted of not having any great concern about anything. Don't take anything seriously at all unless it challenges their own personal comfortabilities. And then the silly fool gets a little upset, right? And then even at that, like we just said, he doesn't really come at it with solutions, constructive criticism. He's just mad and someone's got to fix it now. That's the silly fool. That's not the child of light. Here's a fool in the Bible. Remember, we have five. The third one is the sensual fool. And we're not to be categorized as this, as God's children of light. This is the one the Bible talks most often about. The sensual fool focuses on what brings him or her immediate pleasure. They glorify in what they really should be ashamed of. Scripture gives more warnings about the the sensual fool than any other type of fool. And here's the thing about the sensual fool. His motives are subtle. His motives are subtle. His methods sometimes can't be perceived from the outside, unlike the silly fool or or the simple fool or the silly fool. His is a little bit more under the surface. There is the scorning fool. The scorning fool of the Bible, again, painting a backdrop of what Paul's contrasting the children of light ought not to be. The scorning fool expresses with his own face the disdain and the content that really lies within his or her heart for any sense of true instruction or correction. The scorning fool always turns a deaf ear to when they are rebuked or reproved, which the children of light are called to do. It reminds us of what the truth is in Proverbs 13.1 where the Bible says, A wise son, wise fool, heareth his father, I'm sorry, a wise son heareth his father's instruction, but the fool, a scorner, heareth not the rebuke. That's the scorning uh, fool. How many of you parents in here at times, and this isn't, this isn't an automatic litmus test for whether you've got a scorning fool on your hands or not, But how many of you at times have been seeking to instruct or give wisdom to any of your children? And you got what? The looks on the face, right? And a lot of times the child, and even us as adults, we remember this ourselves. Our parents are probably telling this. Your face is telling me you're not receiving the correction. Your face is telling me that your heart is rebelling against the instruction. Those are, for anyone listening this morning, uh, who doesn't want to receive when biblical wisdoms being placed in front of you when an attempt to help you to understand what the Lord's will is in his word when you exhibit that on your face you're exhibiting the scornful fool from scripture lastly and worst of all 
what the children of light ought to never be, the type of fool, is the steadfast fool. The steadfast fool. This is the most dangerous type of a fool. The Hebrew word nabal, which means wicked, identifies really this type of fool. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, it's also translated as vile person instead of fool. The steadfast fool totally has resolved in his heart that he will reject God in all of God's way. And the psalmist captures this in Psalms 14.1 when he says, The fool, the Hebrew word Nabal, he hath said in his heart, there is no God. We just sung the hymn about that. There is no God. It goes on to say, Psalms 14.1, they're corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. This type of fool is self-confident. They are closed-minded. They've already decided these things are not true. I won't believe them. He is, in a way, made himself his own God. Right? Oh, but not the child of light. Not the child of light. We are to walk cautiously. In any time uh, within the remnants of our old nature, any one of those things that would describe the character of the biblical fool rises up. Beloved, beloved, let it raise up the red flag. Be the caution, the circumspectly walking man, woman, boy, girl of Christ and say, ah, 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 a child of light doesn't think that way. A child of light ought not to practice that way. A child of light, that's, that's an enemy. That, that's an emotion. That's a teaching. That's something either from the flesh, the world, or the devil. We see in verse 16, that not only does the child of light proceed forward in what he has been transformed into in his life with great caution, but notice too that part of understanding the will of the Lord is to proceed forward in life not with caution only, but also with purpose. Look at verse 16. The child of light is called, Paul says, to redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, something helps us here and understand what Paul's sizing up for us. The Greek word that's translated time, it carries with it the concept or the idea that there is a season and a fixed season or in a fixed time. Uh, many of us in here are kind of familiar with, uh, you know, agricultural farm life out in the rural areas. And we're getting very close in June to have to mow hay. And everybody knows when you mow that hay, guess what? There's an affixed time that you got to get that hay out of the field before it's ruined, right? And so, in a way, isn't Paul putting before the child of God who's been converted darkness into light and now asking them to begin to step out and to walk in this new transformed life with great caution, saying, you have been brought into this family of light, this new transformative community called the local church, for a very specific time, a very specific season, a very specific age, that is evil. Redeem that time. Use caution. You have been granted so much through the gospel, thrown so much by your heavenly Father. You have been saved out of those chains of ignorance and blindness. Now, don't waste the time. That's why some of the modern translations, they have it. I, I love this translation. It's a great translation, but they have it actually saying that don't waste time there are so many things that we can waste our time on as the children of light 
I'm not going to provide you the laundry list of the things you shouldn't waste time in. But let me just simply put it like this. Paul, when he says redeem the fixed time, what he's saying there is all the things that you're doing, whatever the time spent on, oh, how time has sucked a valuable asset. Bring it down to being useful for the worship and the service of the Lord. And in that process of redeeming the time, of bringing all things in your life to the useful worship and service of the Lord, guess what you're going to discover? The Lord is going to teach you. He's going to help you understand more of His will. If you allow me in a silly example, to understand part of the key of understanding the Lord's will, isn't that an angel flies down and visits you? Most oftentimes, those who've been brought from darkness into light simply set a foot and begin to take the pilgrim journey of following Christ and seeking to bring their life into subjection to His moral law, live for His glory, and guess what? Along that journey, there are all kinds of doors that open. There are all kinds of surprises that happen. Providentially, there's all kinds of people that are brought into your life. And as you're going, you're understanding the will of the Lord. He's bringing it before your eyes. And so basically, you know, we got this idea of what James 4.14 amplifies, that your life is just a vapor. It's just here for a little time. And Paul's saying, now that you have been converted out of those Gentile, pagan, dark cultures, and you've been brought in the light, bring all of these things in the service of the Lord. And as you're doing it, you will begin to understand the will of the Lord. We have a lot of young people in this church. And oh, how I remember what it was like being young, getting to a point of uh, uh, adolescence or I mean, coming out of adolescence into young adulthood. And uh, you know, you know, and, and it's good that you know this, that your choices and the decisions you're making are going to have, you know, consequences that are going to span into the future years, so forth and so on. Uh, they may have some immediate, you know what I'm saying, effects. Oh, but be reassured that when you are a child of light and you are sincerely seeking in your life to bring all things into conformity of the worship and the usefulness of Christ's cause and His kingdom in your personal life, guess what, guys? It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. Have a little joy. Have a little happiness. Have a little rest and peace as you're following the Savior. But keep your eye on the Savior. Right? That's the whole part of, about redeeming. Now you're going to redeem something unless you don't have a focal point of, the, of that which you're to, to bring it unto. You're bringing it into the redemptive usefulness of Jesus Christ in order to help us to be cautious as children of light in this world on this pilgrim journey, to help us enact with purpose, redeeming all things in the age in which we live. We saw this in the first message. They are indeed evil. The inspired apostle now sets before them something very vital in verse 17. Proceed with applying truth and always be open to learn more truth. Look at verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. By unwise... Paul is not suggesting that they need to go back to school and increase their knowledge in Aristotle. 
And I know you're going to correct me later. Maybe Aristotle is not in existence, but you get the point. But rather, beloved, he is stressing that as they proceed in their pilgrim journey, they mustn't neglect the application of biblical truth in their lives. To do so would to be unwise. It's helpful here to recall that biblically speaking, a quote-unquote unwise person is not considered unwise because of certain intellectual limits, but rather because of their stubborn unbelief and failure as exhibited in the five fools to receive biblical truth and then apply it in their lives. Do you guys remember a couple of Sundays ago we were in the class about the doctrines and the attributes of God and we all walked away and we considered that aspect of God's wisdom that it's just not who he is, but it's actually an attribute that he employs and exercises with perfection. And then, you know, you kind of walk away and you're like, yeah, I never thought about that. It's like God's, God's power perfectly exercised and that's his wisdom. And it's the same thing here we're seeing here. Taking the word of God, taking what Christ has given us in salvation and then actually applying it. Don't be a fool, Paul says. Why would you take everything that you have been given as a child of light, this wonderful blueprint that Christ has shown for the purpose and the pathway for your life and lay it aside? No, redeem the time. And in order to redeem the time, it's absolutely vital that you use this instruction to the children of God and use it in your life. Do we use the Bible that way? Do we really as Christians, as the children of light, believe in its sufficiency when we rhetorically say that we believe it's sufficient? Do we really come to the Bible and really scrutinize the Bible? Not in a negative way. Don't take them the wrong way. I mean, just really analyze it and scrutinize it for every facet of our life. Do we believe that in it contains the will of the Lord for us? Understanding paths of decisions. Do I turn left? Do I turn right? Do I do this? Do I do that? Do we really believe the word of God has that? Paul says, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so there is this perpetual inference here, is what we'll call this in verse 17, that the child of light, as they proceed forward with great humility, understanding that they just escaped the flames of hell, that they're moving forward cautiously, okay, Um, confidently and secured in Christ. He's already established that in in chapters 1 through 4. But at the same time, they don't know everything. They're still figuring some things out. And and, and we all know in here, you've fallen and you've gotten some scrapes. And and God, providentially, preservantially, He has picked you up. He scraped you off. He's taking you to the Word. And what? He's helped you understand His will and to move forward as a child of light, Right? And this is what exactly he is encouraging us to do. Don't be those who profess themselves to be wise, but never apply the word. They may know much, but they never really live it. And this is the area of uh, orthopraxy we're in right now in the book of Ephesians. We already noted that, that it divides itself up naturally with the right beliefs, produce the right application. The Bible tells us that the beginning of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and destruction. In our family worship last night, we were in Psalms 128. And 
We're just simply talking about how it seems as though when nations and kingdoms seem to begin to erode, the root cause is a loss of the fear of the Lord. Uh, there's always this loss of a great reverence and honor for the Creator and uh, you know, seeking Him to watch over and have blessings and, and things of that nature, imploring Him. Even early on in our country, we know many of the founding fathers, though they were not even Orthodox Christians, they still understood there is a God and we need His help in order to make it in this new adventure called America. Right? When that erodes, beloved, you will see manifestations in any society of the fools that we just described in the text, but not for the children of light. No, we earnestly, humbly want to hear what does God's Word say for our lives. We're open to it. We're not scared of it. We're not threatened by it. And we're hungry for it. We're actually thirsty for it. A key to understanding the Lord's will is to begin... I'm sorry. A key to understanding the Lord's will is being a person who's eager to seek how the Scriptures in principle or precept can be most ably or aptly applied to their real lives. The children of light is going to search. The children of light is going to study the word of the Lord before he knows that it is in the scriptures that God speaks to him. Now, we're talking about the will of the Lord here. And I just want to say something real briefly. Understanding the will of the Lord, as Paul is expressing here in verse 17, is talking about the will of the Lord as it's revealed to us in scripture. I've emphasized it already enough. There can be some, and there are in pockets of Christian societies, that want to try to explore what we'll call the secret will of God. And they'll try to convince you that they not only know the secret will of God, right? And and, and that you need to believe their understanding of the secret will of God. And then they'll begin to conform their life and many practices, perhaps, based on the secret will of God, when God's really never inscripturated it in the Scriptures. Okay? Now, I want to share something with you with an eminent theologian from our own heritage as Baptist. His name is John Gill. Listen to what he says. There is the secret will of God, which is the rule of all his proceedings. This is that will which uh, the triune God is operating to bring about all of his decrees, right? I wasn't at that council. I'm just a man. But this is the will of God. This is the rule of God for all of his proceedings. And it is unknown to men until it actually becomes factual in real time, space, and history. This is and always will be fulfilled as sometimes by persons who have no regard to his revealed will in the the scriptures. To this, the wills of all the people of God should always be resigned. And so while Paul is talking about seeking an understanding of the will of the Lord, in the scriptures, I do believe this is the emphasis of verse 17 for the children of God, the children of light moving forward in their life. Also, we have to comment here about this secret will of the Lord that makes itself manifest in providence. And guess what? Find sweet peace and rest by subduing to it. Not kicking against the will of the Lord. Seeking to be taught by the will of the Lord. Seeking to be grown and matured by the will of the Lord. I have heard in this church this week some wonderful steps of great spiritual maturity in areas that far succeed any knowledge 
in the maturity of walking and following the Lord in this aspect of submitting to the revealed will of the Lord through providence. And it blesses my soul. It inspires me to be more, uh, you know, open to just receiving the revealed will of the Lord through providence. John goes on to say, he goes, he goes, and this is more related to what we're talking about today. He says, and then there is the revealed will, which lies partly in the gospel, which declares it to be God's will in the scriptures, the scripturated gospel, and the understanding of it. Listen, this is what Paul's saying. It's not mere speculative knowledge, God's revealed will in scripture, but he says it's a practical knowledge. When a man not only knows, but does the will of God and his heart and actions agree with it, the affections of his being, that was mine, and this is done in faith, in virtue of grace and strength, which he receives from God with a view only to glorify God. This is what Paul's saying here. The child of light wants to receive and be led and glorify God and understanding his will as he's receiving in scripture and then we get to verse 18 and any student of scripture knowing paul's inspired says paul why do you want to talk about alcohol now he goes to verse 18 he's and what he's saying here is i prayed this over and was thinking about this in connection with walking cautiously he's saying in your proceeding forward understanding the will lord be sober be not drunken and what's paul doing here Paul is doing something any good pastor does. He highlights something that he knows about the surrounding culture and even a knowledge, even though it's not in the text, and I agree this is somewhat of a speculation, but he argues or he he draws something to the surface as he did early on in this chapter that he knows could possibly be a hindrance for the admonition he's giving them within that local body. So, He knows that, as he said in the beginning of chapter 5, in this Ephesian culture, that drunkenness is reveled in. A lot of the idolatrous practices and the sensuality that was promoted and agreed upon in society was done in lewdness and drunkenness. And so Paul now is going to give them after the admonition of walking cautiously, seeking to apply the word of God, being a child light. By the way, just so you understand, you cannot do this in a state of inebriation and intoxication. So just as there was a practice and a lifestyle of those early on, verses 1-7, through seven, that are going to be barred from heaven, I'm giving you a very clear warning here. You are not going to be the child of light that Christ has redeemed you to be if you were walking around in some drunken stupor. And this is kind of common sense. We're like, well, yeah, of course. Especially when we know, as you've heard me say it many times before, the first faculty in your mind, your intellect, which is to be used as that instrument, right? To discern, to prove last week, to rebuke, to be exercised, the first faculty that gets affected by alcohol or any other type of drug is your sense of reasoning, your ability to reason, your sense of judgment. So Paul's warning them in this culture that comes from a culture that celebrates drunkenness, that tolerates it and welcomes it. 
be careful. Be careful as a child of light. You're not continuing in the practices of drunkenness. I will share with you as a minister that is serving here at a Reformed church. I, I, I've highlighted this before to you before because I want to make sure that uh, our church here understands while we would recognize with great discernment there may be a lawful use of alcohol and you had better listen to me if you want to take that position study the wines of the ancient east that's being described here in in utilization and disrupt and study the wines of modern times which are three to four more times potent in their alcohol use do it discerningly do it as paul has told you to do it as a child of light and the moment that any use of modern-day alcohol begins to affect your ability to judge rightly, begins to alter your mood, I would say you're in direct violation of what he's telling you to do in verse 15. To be cautious. Be cautious. So while I would never advocate a complete prohibition of the use of wine, because I don't see that in this text, I would completely advise anyone to abstain from modern day use of alcohol. And can I just say something that's rule of common sense? If you don't already drink the nasty stuff, why would you ever start? You're certainly not doing it because it tastes good. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, he says, instead of being drunken, be filled with the Spirit. Now, most of the people that I've ever heard teach or preach this, I've always heard it kind of presented like this. See, we're not to go and do what the pagans do and get filled up with alcohol to feel good. No, we got the Spirit to fill us up and you know feel good, so forth and so on. And I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, that kind of works. I mean, it, you know, it is kind of there. But, but what I want to do here is something that I noticed when I was studying this is to distinguish something. Because see, what Paul here is saying is, hey, think about what he's saying. Don't become drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Just before this, he's been saying, walk cautiously, be children of light, use your time wisely. You can't be using it if you're being over here a, a, a lazy drunkard. And, and, and if any of you have ever dealt, dealt with alcohol, you know just after one or two drinks, you're not too motivated to do anything. You just want to sit back and, and you know, be lazy. Just before this, now Paul says, don't drink and be filled with the Spirit. I think that we have to delineate the difference between being indwelt with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Because that's what he's saying. He's telling you to be filled with the Spirit. And an important verse to help us to kind of delineate being indwelt with the Spirit, which he's already said in chapter 1, they completely have and are sealed by. He says, now I want you to be filled with the Spirit. But wait a minute, Paul. Is this, is this something in measure that we have to receive? Is this something quantitatively that has to be given to me that I ought to be praying for or seeking? Well, to begin that, don't turn there, but to begin that, we have to first understand the words of the Lord Jesus in John 14, 16. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says. We try to understand what Paul's meaning here by being filled with the Spirit. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I pray that the Father, I'm sorry, I pray to the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, He's talking about the Spirit, that He may abide with you forever. That word abide, carries with it the concept in the Greek, indwelling, internal indwelling. And, and, and don't get lost in the hayfields here about location, geographical. It's just Jesus is saying, 
I'm praying to the Father that in my absence, the Spirit's going to come and indwell you perpetually, forever, right? And so we see here, Jesus is promising that the Holy Spirit would indwell his believers and that this abiding, that this indwelling of the Spirit is going to be permanent, not temporary. So the permanent indwelling of the Spirit is not only for a select few believers, is it? But it's for all believers. And there are a number of references that we could go to in Scripture to demonstrate this. I'll just give you one. First, we would go to John 7, 37-39, where the Holy Spirit is a gift given to all believers without one exception. Remember, Paul saying you'd be filled with the Spirit, but we already have the Spirit. Second, the Holy Spirit's given at the moment of salvation. This is when it happens. We learned that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Galatians 3, 2 confirms this receiving of the indwelling of the Spirit at the time of conversion, and it emphasizes the same truth. And it says that the Spirit seals us, and it took place the moment we believed in the gospel. And thirdly and lastly, to demonstrate this indwelling we already have, that Paul's telling us to be filled more of, to try to understand what he's talking about here, the Holy Spirit indwells believers permanently, as we just saw in the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is given to believers as a down payment, or you could say a uh, verification of something future that's going to be culminated. Okay? We could go to 2 Corinthians one twenty-two. We looked at this in Ephesians 4.30, this aspect, that it's a down payment, it's a guarantee. So then, now that that's out of the way, we all know we have a spirit, right? We're indwelt by it. This permanent indwelling, which was just demonstrated in Scripture, is not the filling of the Spirit that Paul's referring to here. So what's he talking about? Paul's teaching. Rather, you children of light, rather you go and escape to alcohol or wine or other mind mood altering devices, you should be so completely yielded to God's will for your life that the Spirit can fully do with you what the will of God wants to do. And so these things that will come along and tempt you of their usage, which your culture amplifies and wants you to do, Paul says, abstain from those things because if you don't, they're going to get in the way and make you, shall we say, a little bit useless. A little bit useless. Romans 8, 9, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 states that the Spirit dwells within any believer, but He can be grieved. His activity within us, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we know, can be quenched. We are not so uh, reformed that we believe that in the process of sanctification, we don't have a role to play in the usefulness of ourselves in the hands of an Almighty God who has transformed us and we live our lives sloppy, lazy, careless, indifferent about things and still think, oh, God's going to use me. That's what Paul's getting at here, beloved. You have been transformed. Now, as a soldier, go out and proceed forward in this battle called life and be fitted for heaven better by abstaining from mind and mood-altering intoxicators. They can do this. He, that's what he's doing here. He's letting them. He's telling them these admonitions because he uh, he truly is confident of what he has written earlier to the Roman Christians. 
in, in, in Rome, in the church of Rome. He told them in Romans 8 9, Ye are not in the flesh. Let this sound in harmony with what we just heard back in verse 8 of our chapter where we're at now. You were once in darkness, but now you're children of light. Let somebody told the, the Christians in Rome, You're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. And if so, be the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit, he's not the Spirit of Christ. You have the Spirit. You're sons of God. And then he goes, uh, he says also in that epistle to the Roman church, you've been planted together in the likeness of his death in Jesus. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed and no matter has dominion over you. you. You can do these things. You can choose to do these things. Henceforth, you should not serve sin, for he that is dead is free from sin. And the Gospel of John echoes in our ears when Jesus said, who I set free is indeed and free. You see, we have been brought into a place last week of fundamentally what happens at conversion. Light is given to us. We're not out here operating like a bunch of ignorant, blind, darkened minds. To be filled with the Spirit here implies freedom from our own self-centeredness and pleasures that these mood or mind-altering things could create for us and for God the Spirit to occupy every part of our lives, guiding and controlling us. And guess what? This is what Paul said back in uh, chapter 3 when we looked at the phrase, he said, oh, how I pray that Christ would dwell in you. We're like, what's he talking about? Dwell. It was this. Be so prepared, so open to allow God invade and have every aspect and dominion of my life so that I could be filled with the Spirit for the purpose of being yielded over to Him for His service. Well, what hinders this? What could hinder the filling of the Spirit? Obviously, drunkenness can. Uh, I was talking to my daughter about this. You know, what are some things that could hinder this? And we were talking about, well, you know, there's uh, natural physical uh, inabilities that we have. There are some of us who, you know, have handicaps. There's legitimate sicknesses in the church. And, and we can get stuck in that ditch, can't we? I sympathize for those who have that. I have a few. I'm 45 now. I've got a few aches and pains. Those who are older than me, they're telling me about, you know, their pill recipe, they regimen, they got to stay on and all that good stuff. I mean, guys, that could hinder us, right, from being filled with the Spirit because we can kind of get in that ditch of all these aches and pains, and it most of the time manifests itself when we get up on the Sabbath day and we really just, you know, it's a real fight to get to church. And we just don't, we, you just stop seeing the people in church. What's happened? That dear brother and sisters, if they're one of God's people, has fallen in that ditch of allowing physical apathy, physical illness, what? To check them out of the game. It's check them out of the game. And we sympathize with that. We ought to, at least, for those of us who don't have all those aches and pains. But one of the greatest things while we recognize certain things that are out of our control, to a degree it is, if you'd allow me, you can have a disease come upon you and, and, and you can't, you'd have no choice in the matter. One of the greatest things, however, that will make us numb, sleepy, lethargic from being filled with the Spirit, being used for the service and the glory of God, is our own sin. That's the simple answer. That's what's going to hinder this. So how can it be redeemed? Well, in this verse, Paul is commanding that we be filled with the Spirit. However, that's not to teach us in some way that we're to be praying for the filling of the Spirit. 
are more of the Spirit. We've already communicated that's been accomplished. We have the Spirit. We are His sons. We are His daughters. We have been given light. Rather, in today's context, teaching that trusting and yielding to God's will as is revealed in Scripture is the pathway to a real, true, life-giving... It's okay to talk about getting things in church. Life-giving blessings from the Spirit of God. That's what this is talking about. And it's maintained as we walk as children of light, continuing to seek the strength and the grace of our covenant-keeping God at the foot of the cross. And that's what we're going to do in the sacraments. And so as we seek to be filled with the Spirit, understand it's absolutely the key to understanding God's will that as He reveals Himself to us in His Word, and we by His grace submit to Him and follow Him, our lives can be blessed. But in so much as the fools that we just described in Scriptures manifest themselves, and we walk contrary to the eternal life we've called to be, you will be robbed. You will, I'm not going to say you're going to be robbed because Paul's already acknowledged that you can engage in these things. It's us forfeiting. We're forfeiting the things that God has graciously given us as His people. Well, in God's providence, we are not going to make it through verses 19 and 21, but I think that's, that's, that's good. I think that's good because we're going to look at those in their own uh, set. And, and, you know, it's always hard figuring out where to put your breaks in a sermon. And I thought breaking it at 21 was going to be good, but uh, I, think, I think the Lord's used His message today for us. So let's close with a word of prayer. Oh, gracious Father above in heaven, Lord, there is just so many blessed, simple truths in Your Word that we have considered together today. Lord, I pray that these very basic elements of the faith and the experiential aspects of the faith that, Lord, we actually encounter as sons and daughters, as children of light, would, Lord, be used by your Spirit uh, even throughout the rest of the day and, and coming in the, in the coming week to be further, Lord, stewed upon and meditated upon and within our minds and our hearts to further cultivate within us, O oh God, just a deeper appreciation for truly what you have given us. Oh, you have freed us and you have freed us indeed. And Lord, while our journey is indeed encumbered with many trials and afflictions, many failures that we have indeed probably perhaps brought upon ourselves, oh Lord, we thank you nonetheless that you keep us, you preserve us. And oh Lord, you help us forever to keep our hands to the plow, looking to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, And you breathe into us, O Lord, as if it were new wind in ourselves each week as we are reminded that it is by His finished and accomplished work that we can do all things, including the very things that our beloved Apostle Paul has laid before us, to walk cautiously, oh, to be active with great purpose in serving others, Lord. And in doing so, you shall reveal and we shall understand more of your blessed will. Help us, O God, we pray in these things. Grow us, mature us, use us, God. We pray in the age in which we live unto your glory and to your service. We thank thee for this time that we've had together with one another and your precious revealed will and your scriptures. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks, honor, and all glory. Amen. All right, well, let's have um, a moment.